Well, welcome to Redeemer Church. I'm Pastor Tim. It's so good to see you here this morning. We're one church meeting in two locations. And our mission and vision is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. It's why we're here. It's why we exist. Today we have a kind of a standalone message um, series thing that we're doing. And it's called um, Experiencing Change. And we're going to be talking about uh, kind of a mystical event that happens in the gospel. Um, the churchy word for it is the transfiguration. I don't always use churchy words because I don't like them because they get confusing. But has this, this really myst- mystical event happens in the Gospels where Jesus goes up onto the mountain and there's one of these cloud experiences. And I, and I call it a cloud experience because multiple times through the Bible, God manifests as a cloud. And it happens in the Old Testament with Moses when the Israelites are, are leaving um, Egypt and God manifests as a cloud and kind of like a tornado in it. And he leads the people out of Egypt. And there's the parting of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And God manifests as a cloud. Um, and then Jesus is on the mountaintop at the Transfiguration. And again, God manifests as a cloud. And we're going to be looking at that story today. And when God manifests as a cloud in this event, he says a couple of words. And Jesus says a couple of words that that give some direction on how we are supposed to Respond to change. Today we're going to look at three primary ways in which we respond, those changes. But I know that it's going to be exciting today um, because this is a fun passage to work through because we get to yell. And I'm going to have you yell with me a little bit today. Um, so it'll be good. It'll be good. But before we do that, we're going to pray together. Let's take a minute to pray. Holy God, we are so grateful to be in this place and in this space. And for those of us who are not grateful, Lord, we ask that you would just work in our hearts. For those of us who are anxious, calm our hearts, Lord. For those of us who are worried, give us peace. For those of us who are broken and hurting, Lord, calm and steady our minds and hearts. Fill us with love and compassion. Let your warmth invade our lives. For those of us who are weighed down and broken and burdened with the, with the issues of life, raise us up. Lighten our load, Lord. For your Son told us that, that your load is light. And the burden is carried by you. Lord, we leave it all at the door this morning with the desire to experience you and to know you more. God, speak to us this day through the words, the music, the silence, the experience of this day. Let it be more than just time spent together. Let it become time spent with you. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said. A few years ago, I was attending a church planter conference in Georgia, um, and I was waiting at the airport for my uh, flight to come home, and I had booked the cheapest flight possible, as I often do, and which meant that I was had a flight full of layovers. And so I was flying from Georgia to Dallas, and then from Dallas to Chicago, and then from Chicago to Grand Rapids, in which then I'd pick up my car and I was going to drive back to uh, Jackson, where I was living at the time. And 
you know, they, they said at the time, this is a few years ago, you had to get to the airport a few hours early, security and all. And so I did, um, but I got through security within a few minutes. And there was no line at TSA. So I made my way to the gate on my ticket, which I had printed out an arrival at the airline kiosk because, you know, I, there's, there's this process. And it's not my first rodeo. I've done this many times. I've flown a lot. And everything had worked out perfect. You know, I slid right in. So I found my gate. And I was about an hour and a half early when I got to my seat. So... I found this nice little chair next to the little charging port. I plugged in my charger, got my phone plugged in. I had my cup of coffee and pulled out my book. I'm like, I'm all set to go. I have my plan. I've done this plenty of times. I didn't put my headphones in so I could hear everything that was going to happen, right? Because you don't want to have your headphones in and miss the announcement that something's changed. So I got my regular book out that I'm reading that I bought at the conference because you always buy more books than you need at these stupid, con I mean, these wonderful conferences. Um, and so I'm reading and I'm like, I don't like this book. I shouldn't have bought it. I grab the next one and nope, nope, finally I get a book that I'm going to read. So I'm reading these books. I'm sitting there waiting for my, my flight to board. And then I get this feeling like something is terribly wrong. I don't know if you've ever had one of those gut feelings, like something is terribly wrong, like that um, feeling like um, in the house when you have little kids and all of a sudden you realize it's too quiet. You know, like, like, wait a minute. And so I pull my ticket out and I look. I'm, I look at the gate in the terminal. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm in the right spot. Look at the time. I should have boarded five minutes ago. No one's boarding. I look around. Not only is no one boarding, there's almost nobody there. Like this, this whole little seating area outside of my door that no one's going through is empty. Except for a few people like me reading books and listening and keeping their phones charged. And so then I, I do the unthinkable. I decide I'm going to go get up and go talk to the person at the counter. Which, as you know, if you've been to the airport, that's like the last thing you ever want to do is go talk to the attendant at the counter because they're really happy people because of all the people they get to talk to. I, yeah. So I, 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 I pack up my stuff because you never leave anything behind because then, bomb, 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 you know, you can't leave your backpack behind. So I grab my stuff and I make the dreaded march over to the, the, over to the thing and talk to the lady behind the counter. See, I, I had had a plan. I got there early. I sat there with no headphones on so I could listen to the PA. What I did not do, as the attendant so adamantly pointed out, was check the little box on the kiosk that said I would receive text updates on my itinerary changes. But, as she smiled, if I ran... I could make it to the other terminal and gate that the new plane that didn't have mechanical errors that was almost done boarding. If I ran, I could make it. Smile. 
and I just might make my connection to Dallas. Ah. Now, you know, everyone responds a little bit differently to um, changes in, in life and unplanned situations. And I have even heard it said that some people respond with grace and tact. I am not one of those people. I wish that I could say I, I am, but me, myself, and I, um, when faced with change, I am more like um, Garth in the movie uh, Wayne's World. Uh, I'm more like, like this right here. Take a look. You know, Garth, you and I have never really talked. Okay. You know, I love what you do on the show. <laughs> I mean, I look at you and I just laugh, laugh. Uh-huh. Let me run this by you because you're a sharp guy. I'm thinking about giving Vanderhoff a weekly interview on the show. How would you feel about making a change? We fear change. We fear change. How many can you relate, can relate to that? I mean, honestly, we fear change. That's what Garth said before he lashed out in anger and destroyed his own creation. Um, honestly, the word change in and of itself comes with negative connotation. It, it does. If you think about it, when we intentionally move from, a, from where we are into something new, Positively, like in a positive way, we call it a transition. We don't call it change, we call it a transition. We transition into a new phase of life. However, if we feel forced into moving into something, into a new place that we don't like, we call it an unwanted change. When things are changing just too fast, I liked it the way it was. I like things the way they were. If we're comfortable and we move into something, and we move into a place of discomfort, then a change has occurred. If we're uncomfortable and we move into a place of comfort, a transition has taken place. But at every transition and at every change, no matter what you call it, we as people are obligated to respond, aren't we? We have to respond to that change or transition. And we get, we get stuck in the airport at the wrong terminal, waiting for a plane that's never going to show up. Um, a decision was made, with or without our input, um, that now impacts our life. It always seems like someone else is making the change, doesn't it? Someone else has that input. Not like It's not that we're victims. That's, that's not what I'm saying. We're not victims of change. Um, but that other people may seem to have more significant impact or influence than we do. And it's not only people, though, it seems. Sometimes it feels like God does. Have you ever felt like God was pulling the strings in your life? Have you ever felt as though God threw a curveball at you? 
Maybe that God changed the rules in the game halfway through. Ever felt as though God had set you on a course of your life only to find yourself partway through and that God had kind of gave you a redirection that you weren't expecting? Maybe a 90-degree turn, a 180-degree or a 75-degree turn or a change of course in a completely different direction that you weren't expecting. Have you ever sensed that God's plans for you had changed? If you have, you're not alone. You're not the only one. But know that God's plans for us have never changed. It's a misconception of of nomenclature. It's it's a misconception of word choice. Because his mission has has always remained the same um, because God is the same today as he was yesterday as he is tomorrow. God is God is unchanging. Um, what has what has changed or transitioned or whatever you want to whatever word choice you want to use, what is what is different is the method in which we follow him. The method changes, but the but the the plan, the mission remains the same. We aren't the first person, we aren't the first people to become frustrated on our journey of faith, when faced with these transitions, these detours, these redirects, either. Um, But there's something we can't miss in this either. Because at the moment of these detours, there's something important that we must remember. When we're faced with a major spiritual detour in our life, and I mean a a major spiritual detour, not a, oh, I think I'm going to do something different. I mean a godly-inspired detour in our life. We don't reach a major spiritual detour until we reach a faith-filled breakthrough. Because spiritual detours follow these faith-filled breakthroughs. There's a turning point that happens in the Gospels. A major event, a major switch of direction in Matthew. And it's a point where Jesus' ministry does a U-turn, does a 180. So up until this point, Jesus and his disciples are moving away from Jerusalem. So Jesus takes off, and he's on this mission, and he's moving and going and doing, and, and he's doing his thing. He's healing the sick. He's proclaiming this new, the coming kingdom of God. He's going, he's, go, he's doing, right? But in chapters 16 and 17 of Matthew, he goes from doing this ministry away from Jerusalem to all of a sudden doing a 180, and he turns back to Jerusalem. And his whole mission changes. And this is what it says in Matthew 16, 21. From then on, redirect. From then on, Jesus does a U-turn. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. U-turn. And this is a significant, this is a big deal to the disciples. This is a major change of mission in their eyes. Not in God's eyes, but in the disciples' eyes. You see, many of the disciples believed that Jesus was going to bring about this revolutionary uprising against the Romans. They expected their Messiah to be like on this horse with a sword in hand and bring about a physical revolution. And they were getting very comfortable with the status that they had achieved because 
Prior to this, they were nobodies. Most of them were nobodies. And now they had achieved this, this sense of influence, of affluence. They came into town with Jesus, and they were a somebody. But Jesus no more than says these words, and Peter, love Peter, he steps in, and he, and he says, but Peter took him aside and began reprimanding him for saying such things. He says, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Everyone say that loudly. This will never happen to you. Remember when, the, when there's an exclamation point in the English language, it's like yelling, right? They're there for a reason. This will never happen to you. And to be clear, to reprimand somebody means to scold them. So you could do this. Jesus, this will never happen to you. Don't you love it when a pastor waves a finger at you? How does it make you feel? Mm. Do you think Jesus liked it? Did you like it? Jesus didn't like it either. <laughs> Jesus really didn't like it because this is what Jesus said. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, and I want you to yell this with me. Okay, everybody ready? Get away from me, Satan. Now, how would you feel if Jesus called you Satan? Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, I'm going to build my rock, the church, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. He's calling him Satan, right? You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This is, this is how Peter responds to the change that Jesus says is forthcoming. How would you respond? Though, let's be honest here. How would you respond if Jesus said he was going to play a 180 in your life? He's calling an audible. Hey, we're, this is the play I got for you, but never mind, 180 now, you're going to do something completely different. But I want you to be ready for it, so here's what's going to happen. Everything changes from this point on. Everything you thought you were going to do, scrap it. It's going to be completely different now. How do you respond? How do we normally respond first? Well, just like Peter, we get angry, we deny it, we lash out, we blame people. It's only human. It's so real, actually, and true to life, if you think about it. Peter got angry, and he didn't see that the detour that Jesus brought to life was really all a part of God's plan. We see it because we know the end of the story. In Matthew, we, we know what the cross means. We know what the resurrection means and the hope that it brings to us today. But Peter didn't know it in that moment. Peter didn't know the end of the story. And the reason that Jesus brought this detour to life for Peter and for the disciples is that they had finally matured enough to be ready for it. Never forget that when we face a Holy Spirit-inspired spiritual detour, that it has followed a faith-filled breakthrough. Just before this argument, just before this event happened, Jesus had asked his disciples who the people were saying that he was. And they gave a whole bunch of answers about who they said he was. But Jesus went on to ask Peter himself. He said, Peter, but who do you say that I am? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And at that moment, Simon had this breakthrough in his faith that Jesus saw in him. And, and Jesus gave him a new name. He said that he was going to be called Peter, as in the rock, the solid rock, Petra. The one who Jesus would trust to build his church, Christ's church, after he died. And now, because Peter had this breakthrough moment in his faith, because Peter had grown in maturity to this new point, the disciples were ready for what God had for them to do next. They had a faith-filled breakthrough, and it was time for a spiritual detour. They were ready for the next step, which was for the disciples it would mean that they would grow into what God had for them to become. Now, how do you respond when God puts you on the spot like that? How, when God calls you by name and asks you the tough question, how do you answer? When was the last time you genuinely had a faith-filled breakthrough like that that changed your life? Or maybe, I guess, the better question would be if you haven't had a breakthrough like that, or if you're comfortable with everything and everything seems to be going to plan, perhaps you should be considering why that is. Because this new direction that Jesus was leading the disciples on came with a very high price. Because Jesus said to his disciples after that, any of you who want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Don't, don't misunderstand the, the cost. Jesus is very clear about the cost. If we desire to be his followers, if we choose that path, it will mean giving up our desires, our way, our preference, picking up our own execution, because the cross is not a piece of jewelry. The cross is not a tattoo. The cross is an implement of destruction, an implement of execution. And it means following Christ to his death and technically to our own. It's brutal, but it's honest. And friends, it's real. And then what happened next has played in the imaginations of artists and scholars for centuries. And as I said earlier, it's the churchy word is the transfiguration. And it took place six days later. And this is how Matthew records it. He says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and their two brothers, James and John, and led them up high on a mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here! Exclamation. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified, and they fell down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man 
has been risen from the dead. Spiritual detours follow faith-filled breakthroughs. This event followed the announcement of a significant transition in the lives of the disciples. Their image of the Messiah had been shattered. They were experiencing change at a substantial level, and they were wrestling with their response. Peter had already responded with anger. I'm sure that some had already blamed Jesus as well. But if we listen, if we listen to the event and what happens in this, we can learn how to navigate through the spiritual detours of our lives as well. And so let's walk through some of the things that are said, and we'll find three things that we can learn. And the first thing we need to learn is that we need to listen to the one voice that's going to guide us through the change. So the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is that spiritual detours are navigated by only one voice. The moment that we hit a spiritual detour, the moment that we are confronted with that redirect, we go from having this, this, this sense of control to having no control and no power at all. You know, we, we feel like we, we, we got this. We, 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 we own it. We know what we're doing to having no ability to control anything at all. It's as though in one, one moment there's an answer for everything. Every box is checked on the form to having nothing. It's like your life were a gigantic etch-a-sketch that's all filled out, and then a five-year-old kid grabs it and shakes it up. You guys remember etch-a-sketches? I used to love playing on an etch-a-sketch. It's like your life is an etch-a-sketch. Got it all figured out, and then a five-year-old grabs it. How did that happen? It's very confusing. It's very disorienting. What's more, you have no idea what the answer is going to be. What's worse, I don't know, what is worse? Not knowing the answers or having a whole lot of maybes? I don't know. You exist in this state of limbo. And so we start talking. We start asking people for advice, seeking help. And people start talking to us, giving opinions, encouraging, discouraging, talking, texting, email, phone calls, etc. And pretty soon we're consumed by so many voices with so many different things, with so many different opinions, so many different ideas that we don't know which way to go. And this is where Peter was on the mountaintop. And so he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to build a house. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to build three houses. I'll build you a house. Jesus, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build Moses' house. And I'm going to build Elijah's house. I'm going to build you all a house. Let's have houses. We'll have a house party. I got to do something. But we're human beings. We're not human doings. Right? What is it that Jesus says? But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the voice, this is what God says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What does God say? Everyone say that with me, that last part. Listen to him. Does it say do what he says? No. Does it say build a house? No. It says listen. To him. God didn't ask for actions in that moment of transition, in that time of change. 
God didn't ask for words. He said, listen to him. This is my son who I love. Listen, just stop. Peter, stop. Stop. It's like in the psalm. Be still and know that I am God. Stop. Listen to him. There are so many voices trying to get our attention, but there's only one voice that can guide us through the spiritual detours of our lives. Listen to him. There's only one voice that can safely guide us through, and that's the voice of Christ. The second thing is that spiritual detours require us to get up. When God spoke to the disciples, or when God spoke, the disciples fell to the ground. And, and it says that they fell to the ground in fear, but fear doesn't mean that they were afraid. When the Bible says that they were fell in fear and trembling, fear, biblical fear of God is, is more in line with being in awe of God. Fear, a synonym of biblical fear is awesome or awe. So if you were to imagine coming in contact with the most amazing person you could ever imagine, living or dead, and being afraid to meet them. So like for me, if I could meet Martin Luther King Jr., I don't think I could talk to him. I would be afraid to speak because he's a hero to me. Um, and I would, be, I would be fear and trembling because I would stand in awe before this man. Not that he's a god to me, but like I would, I would be fearful of being in front of him in fear and trembling um, because I would feel unworthy to be in Martin Luther King Jr.'s presence. Does that make sense? When, when the Bible talks about fear of God, it's more like the word awesome, like to stand in awe before. And so when the disciples fell before God in fear, it was like, I am not worthy, I have to hide myself from you. Not like I'm afraid because you're going to kill me, but because I am unworthy to be in your presence. And as they lay on the ground trembling, Jesus walked over to them and said, with his hand on them, and said, get up. Just get up. When we are in the middle of a spiritual detour, in that state of limbo, and in this in this place of discontent, disillusionment, um, unknowing, we will find ourselves down. And it may be because it may or may not be because we are in awe of something. More likely, it's going to be because we are beaten down, broken, cold, hungry, tired, worn out, and ready to give up but we will find ourselves down. But those words still apply. Jesus said, get up. You know, I've heard it said that showing up is half the battle. I would say the other half is getting up. You've got to get up and you've got to show up. The verb that Christ uses in the Greek is, is better translated Instead of get up, it should be be raised up. To be raised up. And it's the same verb that's used throughout the Gospels um, where Jesus heals the paralytic man and tells him to stand up. 
It's the same verb that's used when Jesus heals um, the dead daughter of the synagogue leader and tells the girl, um, and it says, the, and the girl got up. It's to be raised up. It's the same verb when Jesus instructs the twelve to go up, go out and raise up the dead. It's the same verb when Jesus um, describes the resurrection and how he is going to be raised up from the dead. And it's the same verb um, that is used in the tomb story at Easter when the women go to the tomb and the angel says, why are you looking for him here? He is not here. He has been raised up. So when Jesus says to the disciples on the ground, get up, he's saying, be raised. Be raised to new life. So when we face change and transition and spiritual detours, Jesus comes up to us and he places his hand on our shoulders and he says, get up, be raised up into this new life. And it's a promise to us that he's making to us that even though our circumstances have changed, Yes, things have changed. But your life is not over. Life's not over. It hasn't come to an end. You're just on a new path, on a new journey toward the same destination that I had planned all along. We tend to seek security as though we could protect ourselves from anything harmful or discomforting, but there's no real such thing as there's no such thing as true security in this life. There's risk in everything we do. You know, I, I just always fall back to what Douglas MacArthur used to say, um, and he, he once said that there's no there is no security in life, only opportunity. There's no security in life, only opportunity. And at some point, we just need to show up and get up, and move forward. The third and final thing that we need to remember is spiritual detours require faith over fear. Because when Jesus said, get up, the next thing he said is, don't be afraid. Get up and don't be afraid. Fear, it, in, it, it invades our lives. It, it invades our lives. We fear our future. We fear our, for our families. We fear for our friends and our loved ones, our communities. We fear for our pets. If you name something, somebody fears for it or fears it. There's a phobia out there of it. Fear consumes us as quickly as a St. Bernard consumes a picnic basket. It's just gone. Fear is the antithesis of, antithesis of faith. One devours the other or one consumes the other. And if left unchecked, our fear will consume us too. Spiritual detours follow our faith-filled breakthroughs, and when you experience a change, listen to the one voice that will see you through. Jesus is calling each of us to get up. Don't let your fear consume you. Are you ready for a breakthrough experience in your life? Will you rise up when Jesus calls you? Will you let your faith be greater than your fear? Gracious God, I pray that for each of us, our faith would be greater than our fears. 
as we face a future full of unknowns, filled with detours, turnarounds, and unexpected transitions, let our faith prove true. That we would find ourselves facing spiritual detours because we have experienced faith-filled breakthroughs. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who you sent to us because you love us enough to meet us exactly where we are. But you love us too much to leave us the way that you found us. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.